Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to talk about changes. It's been a very normal year, right? Nothing has changed around you or I, but maybe it's changed a little bit. And maybe it's changed a little bit with respect to the things that you enjoy, whether it's movies or television, or in this case, video games. I've got a couple of stories up that I want to talk to you about that kind of go over some of the things that we have discussed in virtual legality over the past year or year and a half. And those relate to the nature of a software contract, the nature of a live services game. I spent a long time discussing this kind of issue with Accursed Farms last year who says all games as a service games are sold as fraud. And I said, no, that's not really the case. The software license gives them certain rights. And those are the rights that you buy when you buy a license to the game. But certainly, even in that context, even as a corporate lawyer, what we look at with these kinds of things can be offensive, can be things that we wouldn't otherwise like to see change in the things that we enjoy. And software is very unique in that aspect. Generally speaking, outside of George Lucas making changes to Star Wars and things along those lines, you don't have a situation where something that you enjoy is going to be changed later on and affect the way that you enjoy it. Video games are different. So with that as the introduction, I want to talk about a couple of video games here, Destiny 2 and Doom. And the first one up to bat here is Destiny 2. If you aren't familiar with that game, it is a live services type game. It's a first person shooter from the makers of the original Halo series before it was essentially sold to Microsoft. And Bungie makes this game and they put out patches. They change the way it's functioning all the time. And this most recent change, I think, is something that people are going to debate. But you can tell in the thumbnail here that I've labeled it as making things worse because it fundamentally changes the product that you have been enjoying from them up until now. And I've got up here a Destructoid article that says Bungie is poised to controversially sunset Destiny 2 gear as seasons progress. Once again, Bungie is having a change of heart on how things work in Destiny 2. While we covered some of the upcoming alterations already, which sound good on paper, a new Bungie blog is covering power levels. In case you don't play Destiny 2, power levels are basically just an extension of the gear score mechanic from MMOs, which measure the efficacy of your gear to properly slot you into, usually, certain endgame activities. It used to be called light level, but things changed over time. The short of it? Well, let's go to Bungie to actually see what they say is happening here. It says, back in February, Luke spoke about upcoming plans for Legendary Gear Infusion. The Destiny dev team has more details on how this system is going to work. Today, we're going to talk about changes to the Infusion system that are coming to Destiny 2. Now, in Destiny 2, after a while, they decided you could infuse different weapons into the weapon that you really like. So if you like the way it shoots, you like the perks that it has, you like the way that it operates in the space, you can take a weapon that is ostensibly more powerful, that has a higher level, and infuse it into the weapon that you actually like so that you can grow that weapon that you really enjoy all throughout your adventure in the world of Destiny 2. A lot of people like that because it allows them to pick the weapons that they enjoy and not have to constantly be grinding for new weapons, not constantly having to be figuring out where and how they can get these new weapons. And what Bungie has said right here is that they're going to take that away. Now, they've got some good reasoning for it. They've got an explanation for why they are doing this. They say, we want the sandbox to feel interesting, exciting, and dynamic. 
and to evolve in compelling ways over time in the same way that the game evolves. Our weapons are the primary way that players interact with the world, and season over season, we want players to discover new weapons that feel powerful, have interesting new perks to explore, and power the builds that players craft in new and unexpected ways. The changes to the infusion system we are talking about today are designed to promote the following. We want you to more frequently earn and enjoy more powerful and standout gear. Right now, if a new legendary weapon isn't better than the current quote-unquote best-in-class, there is no reason to replace your existing weapon with it. Now, this isn't a Destiny 2 video series, but we can talk about various design philosophies here. One of which is best-in-class, while it might work for most people, doesn't necessarily work for everyone, especially in an action-based first-person shooter game. There might be a shotgun that works better for somebody that's really good at those kinds of skills, and there might be an auto rifle that's really better for someone that likes a mid-range distance approach to their combat. Best-in-class might only apply to those specific weapons, but it seems to be being applied here in this description a little bit more broadly, and I think it's a little bit disingenuous. The players really should be in control of what kind of experience they are having in this space. And one of the problems that Bungie has had trouble with with their game is, you heard it described in the Destructoid article, they've changed their philosophy time and time and time and time again. And to some extent, that could be blamed on Activision and maybe some butting of heads that resulted from their publishing relationship that is now ended. And so Bungie is completely in control of its own destiny. But... I don't think you can lay it all at the feet of Activision because they've changed even the way they've philosophically thought about their game now a couple of times since they left Activision's purview, and this is the latest. They want to end your ability to use certain weapons after a couple seasons. They go on to say in this particular description that there's going to be a power cap, that you can only infuse it up to the cap of, I think, three seasons after you would have gotten it, which if you're keeping score at home means that your legendary weapon that you acquired by playing a given season will essentially die about when they want to sell you a new season pass. And that makes sense from a kind of economic approach. We might think of this in the real world as a kind of planned obsolescence. I pulled up the wiki page for that. But if you're not familiar with this concept, it's a concept that contemplates that a provider of a good would plan when that good should die. And to some extent, we acknowledge that intuitively in the world. Generally speaking, you get a consumer-grade good. Maybe it's a cheaper-end good. You can expect that it's going to die or at least need significant repairs shortly after whatever the warranty period is that the manufacturer has given to you because they can go and they can look and they can test and they can figure out, okay, most defects are going to be identified in this window and the item itself is going to die in this window, and so we don't want to warranty that. And so it's a good information point, actually, for somebody that's buying a consumer good. You get a longer warranty. Probably it's going to last longer, but there's no guarantees there. But in this particular instance, you've got Bungie doing something that feels a lot like this. Oh, yes, we want to make sure the sandbox is dynamic. Oh, yes, we want to make sure that you are enjoying your time in the space, and we don't know that we can do that if we don't obsolete out your current weapons because otherwise you just become satisfied with what you have. But what's really wrong with that? The other way of looking at this, the, the way that some people are going to look at it, the way that Destructoid kind of looks at it, the way they describe it as controversial, is that this says, hey, you're going to have to keep buying season passes. You're going to have to keep up on the grind. You're going to have to keep doing what we tell you to do to even be able to enjoy this game that you've probably already spent $200 on. 
given all the expansions and season passes that we have sold to you. And that's going to rub some people the wrong way. And more importantly, it's going to rub them the wrong way because that is different today than it was yesterday. It's different in season 12 than it will be in season 11 and all the prior seasons. And that's a change in the product that they own. But as we've talked about, you don't own software. You don't really own any intellectual property that you use on a kind of pop cultural basis. It's all given to you under license. And so it should come as no surprise to you from a legal standpoint that Bungie, of course, reserves the right to do these kinds of things. I've pulled up the end user license agreement for Destiny. It says your use of the program involves interaction with Bungie's live game environment. The program and its live game environment change over time. Bungie does not guarantee that you will be able to participate in all events or earn all in-game achievements. Access to some live content may require additional purchase. Hey, all you've signed up for is a ticket for this particular moment in time, and we can't promise that it'll look the same tomorrow. And if you really kind of take these things to their absurd conclusion, Bungie could decide that Destiny is going to be an accounting program to help you with tax compliance in 2021. And... Maybe they can do that. Now, I think you'd have equitable claims. It's a breach of good faith and all that kind of thing. But in terms of the black and white lettering of the contract, they basically reserve the right to do anything they want in the space that they have created for you. And I do think people that are engaged in the video game space should be more aware of this kind of language, the way that games are sold in the license itself. Now, I'm a corporate lawyer. I draft these kinds of things. And I think that Bungie has the right to put these in the license. But I also think that consumers have the right to say, oh, that's a terrible license. I should be aware of it. And I don't want to participate in a license like that. Or more specifically, in a situation like this, yeah, maybe everybody has license terms that look like this, but now you've lost my trust. Now I look at you and say, wow, I really shouldn't have invested $200 in your product because you took away everything that I had grinded for for the past four years. Those legendaries that I have in my locker are going to be worthless. Various things that I have done that I have spent my time on, potentially my money on, you have now said are going to be obsolete because you can't figure out a way to continue to make it fun. To some extent, I want to sit back and say, that's not my problem, Bungie. Go figure it out. Don't make everything that I have earned lose its value. Bungie, of course, says, hey, we have the right to do it under the contract. And you say, fine, but I can keep that in mind when you try to sell me your next thing. And that's, I think, the first level of response to this if you don't like what Bungie's doing here. I've also highlighted a bit of language that kind of solidifies this point for Bungie's rights, where it says Bungie may deploy or provide patches, updates, and modifications to the program that must be installed for you to continue to use the program. Bungie may update the program remotely without notifying you, and you hereby grant to Bungie consent to deploy and apply such patches, updates, and modifications. Bungie can do whatever it wants. Under the law, the word modifications means they can change things substantially. Patches and updates, maybe not so much, but they can change whatever they want. And that leaves us in a position to say, yeah, that thing that you loved, it might look different tomorrow. And folks like Accursed Farms and others that have come to me in my comments, I am empathetic towards for them to say, hey, how do you archive this stuff? How do you enjoy it later when it looks completely different tomorrow than it looked yesterday? And it will look even more different two years from now than it looks tomorrow. And that's really kind of the light version of this discussion. A much more difficult version of this discussion was actually raised to my attention by Louis Proctor, who follows me on Twitter, 
often gives great comments. Follow him on Twitter. He's got a lot of good stuff to say. He asked me for my thoughts on the situation related to Doom Eternal this week. And I love getting these tweets. I love getting these messages and DMs. Please contact me with anything you think might be interesting to cover here in virtual legality because I don't see everything and I hadn't seen this story. And he wrote a story about what has happened with respect to Doom Eternal. He said, Doom Eternal update adds controversial de novo anti-cheat. Now, the first thing before we dive into this article we need to point out is that anti-tampering is different from anti-cheat. And that kind of escaped my understanding for a few passes through these articles that we're about to take a look at. Because one of the things that he says is that he says, Doom Eternal released back in March, and at the time it was sold as requiring the use of de novo anti-tampering, an anti-piracy technology that can also restrict mods, or using technology like Proton to play Windows games on Linux systems, requiring the use of a Bethesda.net account to log into, and requiring players to agree to a standard electronic user license agreement. Players then had the choice to look at those restrictions, decide for themselves whether those restrictions were acceptable or not. Some players might have decided not to play the game. Some may have decided to wait for sale, and many others proceeded to purchase the game, not finding any problem with restrictions, or perhaps more specifically, not reading the restrictions at all. That's kind of a known issue under the law and under software license agreements. But he brings up a good point. When Bethesda puts up what you need to operate this game, and you decide to give it $60, you have an understanding that something fundamental about the game isn't going to change later. And this is a much bigger kind of issue than what we just talked about with Destiny and Bungie changing your game experience. This actually changed your your security profile, your exposure level. So what apparently Bethesda said a couple days ago was that they were adding new software that would be required to operate their game. It says, fast forward two months and Bethesda have just dropped an update for Doom Eternal that contains this juicy gem. Under the heading of new features for PC, the update says added de novo anti-cheat software required for playing battle mode on PC, a a multiplayer mode within the Doom Eternal program. Now, again, I missed this after reading it a couple of times, but anti-cheat is different from anti-tampering. He describes it as a rather ominous new feature. There are more technical details on how it's implemented in the blog post from Irdetto, the developer of de novo. So I followed this article. I said, okay, what is it that they say they are doing? And indeed, this does raise a few eyebrows, as you will see themselves described. It says, hello, Doom Eternal fans and gamers. Over the last three years, Erdetto's DeNovo team has been building a multiplayer anti-cheat solution. Two years ago, DeNovo kicked off an early access program where AAA publishers and studios were invited to contribute today's most popular multiplayer titles as anti-cheat test platforms. After countless hours and millions of gameplay sessions, we are excited to announce the launch of DeNovo Anti-Cheat. So this is a first test case scenario, which in and of itself brings its own exposure items. This is a first kind of live showing of this thing on your computer, friend. It says, our anti-cheat solution doesn't have any annoying tray icons or splash screens, and this invisibility could raise some eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. If you're not reading the patch notes to Doom Eternal... I'm not even sure you know this thing is running in the background. And if you actually read what this thing does, it says the first time you start your game, Anti-Cheat installs a kernel mode driver into the program files folder. And it doesn't tell you that it did that. And it doesn't put tray icons or splash screens up at all. There's no way to even see that this thing just puts something in your operating system. Or as PC Gamer says, 
you're giving it a lot of access to your PC because kernel mode drivers hang out at the core of your operating system. There are concerns that this represents a major security risk if someone was to find a vulnerability in it, netting themselves control over the most basic functions of your PC. Now, I don't know this particular software from Adam. I couldn't tell you whether this has exposure risks and somebody can find some kind of way to hack into your computer through it. Although my bet is that somebody enterprising will someday find that kind of situation because this is the kind of thing that hackers like to look at. And so by installing Doom Eternal, by buying a game that didn't mention this at all, and then having it added in patched later to add a kernel mode kernel mode driver into your operating system is a little bit crazy to me. And yeah, I think that Louis Proctor writing this article, well within his rights. Absolutely. Identify this for people. People should know about this stuff. But hey, we're in virtual legality, so is this legal? That's the question that comes up in my comments. You know the answer to this before you asked it. Of course it is. Bethesda's all over this. We've pulled up the Doom Eternal End User License Agreement. <clears throat> now note, one of the things that happens here is that this isn't a great user license agreement for things like Doom Eternal specifically. You'll note a whole section here about virtual legality. Uh, virtual reality, I mean, that says if the software provides for virtual reality gameplay, etc., etc. When you make specific end user license agreements for each specific product, you don't need to include if-then statements. So as far as I know, Doom Eternal isn't VR compliant. Maybe you can correct me on that in the comments to this video. But the question that we wanted answered was, can they do this? And absolutely they can. Section two of the license says ZeniMax, the owner of Bethesda, may deploy or provide patches, updates, improvements, upgrades, and modifications to the game that must be installed by you in the manner described by ZeniMax in its discretion before you may continue to play the game. You purchased this license for $60, but we may deploy modifications that must be installed in order for you to use that license that you otherwise purchase. That's the same thing we saw with respect to Destiny and Bungie, but here it's a bigger deal. ZeniMax has implemented tools and software, quote-unquote anti-cheat tools, designed to detect and prevent cheating and fraud. These technologies may scan any computer or device from which you download or play the game to detect or identify any programs or processes designed to, quote-unquote, cheat by the way, cheating isn't actually identified. That's not a real definition for the word cheat. So what it means to cheat is a little bit open to ZeniMax and Bethesda's discretion in the first place. To cheat, gain an unfair advantage in the game, or otherwise circumvent any security, anti-cheat, or fraud detection processes or tools we have implemented. By using or downloading the game or accepting this agreement, you acknowledge and expressly agree to the access to your computer or device by these anti-cheat tools to identify or detect cheat programs. Now, ostensibly, this last part, to identify or detect cheat programs, is a limiter on what this program can do. But obviously, it does present an exposure risk for people that are installing Doom Eternal and not an exposure risk that an ordinarily sophisticated market participant would ordinarily assume for purchasing and playing a video game. You don't assume when you buy a video game that an invisible kernel driver is going to be installed on your operating system. And the only protection you get is the end of one sentence in the license that says, we're only going to look at cheating 
and some stuff from the people that make it that say, hey, we're not interested in other data. It's not in our best interest. We want to avoid collection of personally identifiable information. Unlike other anti-cheat solutions, we don't take screenshots, scan your file system, or stream shellcode from the internet. We just collect information on your operating system, how it interacts with the game, and send that to an Amazon-hosted cloud server. No problems there, right? Nobody should have an issue with that. Of course, a lot of people do have an issue with that. That's the point of this conversation. And unfortunately, that's the world that we live in right now with respect to consumer-level software, right? If I were negotiating a corporate license on these kinds of points, there would be a whole lot more discussing what kind of modifications you can make. The fact that the game, the product, the software still has to substantially comport with the specifications that we agreed upon to begin with. That putting a kernel driver in my operating system isn't really what was implied by what you put in this language and I don't like it. But that's not what we have when we have contracts of adhesion, when we have software licenses that you click through just as fast as I do and I'm a lawyer. That you have all these terms that reserve the right to make your product worse after you've already given them money. And that's a problem. And that's why I made this video. If you have any comments to this, if you have your own concerns about Destiny or Doom or anything else, please leave it in the comments to this video. I'd love to have that conversation. I'd love to know of other instances in your life, in your experience, maybe not just limited to video games, movies, television, something else, where what you had, what you owned, what you thought you had the rights to, what you enjoyed was changed after the fact. Maybe they had good reasons for doing it. Maybe they didn't. But that that change lowered your enjoyment of the product that you previously really thoroughly enjoyed. I know I'm going to look twice at buying anything from Bethesda or ZeniMax and putting it on my computer because they make these changes after the fact. I know in other instances that games have added monetization options that were designed to be put in place shortly after release, but that they didn't want reviewers to really be reviewing because there was a time and place in the gaming industry where that was looked at really negatively, horse armor and whatnot. And so they add it in later. And to me, that's deceptive. It's not maybe illegal. It's not maybe illegally deceptive, but it's deceptive on an ethical basis. And I don't like to see it in this industry that I love so much. And maybe you don't like to see it either in this industry or another industry that you love so much. So please do leave those comments. Otherwise, like, subscribe, hit bell, share, do all those good things. I really, really appreciate the engagement helping us out at YouTube and with the algorithm and everything else. And if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. Have a great weekend, and I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.